You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. And in this episode, I'm talking to Harriet Dyer, who is someone I've only recently in the last couple of years got to grips with her work. Um, I've sort of gigged with her once or twice, but she's someone who's always been recommended to me as someone who'd be brilliant on this podcast. And uh, those recommendations were absolutely right. So you can feel very smug if you made one of them. We are going to talk about Harriet's unexpectedly falling into stand-up during her uni years, encouraged by her lecturer, where she finally found her true calling, which paved the way for her show Trigger Warning. And it was watching that show, which is available free on YouTube, which really made me scramble to get her on the show. It's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly personal. Uh, and we will talk uh, in detail about the complexities of navigating sensitive topics within the realm of comedy. Now, obviously, the show is called Trigger Warning. It is about some big, deep, horrible stuff that happened to Harriet over a long period of time. So I'm trigger warninging this whole episode as well. Uh, I, ne- I never want people to miss out or switch off on things. She talks about some of the horrific things that have happened to her in such a light way, with such a light touch, which has all of this uh, kind of emotion inside it. And I mean, she, listen, I'm tying myself in knots trying to explain this to you. What I'm saying is that we don't talk about some of these horrible things with the gravitas you might expect. And that is because she is entitled to decide how she talks about them herself. Is that fair? Basically, this is a big old trigger warning of an episode, but I don't want you to miss it because she is such a delightfully sort of daffy and absurd and wonderful warm human being. So there you go. That's that's what I've got to say at the beginning. Um, we're also going to talk about the addictive nature of comedy and its impact on personal happiness um, and whether you can find contentment regardless of how your gigs are going. Um, and we'll also talk a little bit about uh, Harriet's advocacy for mental health and her role in running Barking Tales, uh, which is a, a fabulous uh, themed comedy night that she runs. So that's all of that. There's no extras from this. We had enough to play you some extras, but um, I decided I wanted to leave all of this one in because it sort of follows a pretty coherent narrative and I think it's all important stuff. I absolutely bloody love Harriet Dyer. And here she is. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Harriet. It's a joy to have you. I've just made a note in the in the, the Comedians Comedian Podcast Facebook group with... Um, uh, a, a link to trigger warning because I saw it. I texted you after I saw it. It oh, yeah. blew me away. It blew me away. And 
I, I'm so excited to talk to you. And uh, I'm, that's my starting point. I'm really excited to talk to you. Loads, I've, I've, we've gigged together. I've, I've, you know, I've seen you compare, but I've never seen you do like a set really, or certainly not a long set. And it just blew my head off. And I, I said, hey, I've, I've got Harriet coming off the podcast. And loads of people got really excited about it. Oh, and I'm excited nice. about it too. So how is comedy treating you at the minute, Harriet? Uh, finally, I think comedy's treating me all right at the minute. We have, isn't it? It's very hickledy pickledy. So one minute I'm like, oh my God, this is going amazing. And then the, the, the next minute I'm like, oh God, what am I doing with my life? So I have been feeling amazing about it all. And then, I don't know, I think when, when, when you, because if you're used to sort of constantly getting fun bits of work that you're looking forward to, and then if you go like a week or or whatever where you don't you then start i always then start doubting myself and uh uh and all, and all that really so oh, i've never said that before but but yeah because i think my whole ex my whole life's happiness always depends on work really i'm miserable if work's not going well and and really happy when when it is which i need to well i guess that's terrible really isn't it i need to get <laughs> I don't have any hobbies or anything <laughs> 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 it, it, I feel exactly the same and I know a lot of people who are comics will feel exactly the same that we're really tied to the 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 happiness afforded us by work like that's part of the addiction I guess isn't it is that yeah. we kind of go when I do this well I mean we were briefly talking about medication for various things before we hit record it, it's it's a form of medication right you're like oh this I need this thing do you feel like you're do you feel like that's inevitable? Do you feel like it is... Do you feel like you can learn one day to feel okay regardless of how gigs are going? Oh, I would not know, actually, because even if I go... Like, I can't be like... If I ever... I rarely do, but if I ever, ever I go on holiday, I'm just... I can never relax, and then I think about... And then, does everyone do this? When you're on holiday, you think you have these big epiphanies of what you're going to do different in your work and, and how things are going to change. It's only like, like... I've only been for three days in Scunthorpe, and I've treated it like a blooming... <laughs> like, oh, like, like I've had a real awakening. Um, yeah, so I, I guess it... I guess it always will be, yeah. Because you know when people go, oh, if you if if you had all the money in the world, or whatever, you'd you'd give up your work and and then you just do nothing or whatever. It's like that sounds terrible. I definitely would. I'd always, even if I had all the money in the world, I'd still want to gig. So I guess it is inevitable that I will always feel like this, which is quite depressing, really, isn't it? That I'm always chasing that. So in the past, if I've wanted to do, if I've done like drugs and stuff, I'll be chasing that. But then now I'm just always chasing this, this career high, I guess, which, but we all do that, don't we? And then I need to, uh, we, we never step back enough and, and are grateful for at the minute. So I yes. need to do that more often. Well, we all do, don't we? Do you do you think about stuff like that a lot, or is it only when an idiot like me asks you about it? Because I, I relentlessly think stuff like that all the time. I can't help but constantly analyse every breath I take and what does this mean and what am I doing and what's the plan and that's why this podcast exists in many ways. Do, do you do you think about it? Because a, a lot of people don't. Do you kind of ever sort of end up kind of ruminating on it and what's the quest and where do I fit and how's it going? Or like, what kind of do you tend more towards that, or more to I'm just in the moment and I'm just chasing the moment. 
no, I think I do. I, I, because I think as well, if you, yeah, I try to appreciate because I think I always, well, I have to remind myself that I'm, lu- I'm very, lu- I know I'm really lucky to do what I do and somehow make a living from it and all that and, um, and then go to, like because I, I learned to drive like quite late in life, and I'll be dri- I'll be driving along to a gig, and then there'll be the seaside or something, and, and I'll I'll be like, oh, I am really lucky. Uh, so I do, yeah. So I I do think that a lot and and appreciate it, but then at the same time, where yeah, if you've like I said, if you if you get a few things and then you don't one week, and then you do start to say, oh God, is this is this the end? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did because I, oh well, because I guess with with COVID and all of that, we are, we were reminded more so that any it could be the end, and that I guess that's quite that's quite scary because because there's so many of us that we're like sort of raggy dolls thrown on the heat on a pile that like what do we do in the in the real world? So so yeah, but I oh yeah, I can't think of that too much, I guess. <laughs> it's that that idea of what do we do in the real world there is there is something about your style on stage your approach your i think one of the one of the really joyous things about watching you is how completely present you are with us there's never any sense that you're doing the script <laughs> i think i think that's <laughs> i think you'd agree with that you're really right in there with us and also one of the one of the sort of things i I thought a few times whilst watching various bits and bobs of yours is that it is quite hard to imagine you doing anything else. <laughs> Do you know I mean, I don't mean you wouldn't be capable of doing anything else, but you seem like you seem like, oh, isn't it wonderful for Harriet that comedy exists whereby she can completely be herself? <laughs> well, yeah, well, well, my mum used to say that, like, if ever I went home uh, to, to visit her and I'd, oh, I don't know, just be in the kitchen peeling potatoes or something, I wouldn't even though she was watching me and then suddenly she'd she'd go, Oh, I just don't know how you exist in the real world. And, and she, she also used to say, I wasn't born that I was created. Um, and, which I don't really know. That's quite offensive, really. Um, and, <laughs> but, but yeah, and I did always just, like everyone, I think, in comedy, sort of had a string of jobs that, that, that I never, like, I used to work in the super dry shop in the ball ring and... That even the managers there must have known that I was quite creative and needed to be um well creative in order to function and they even they 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 were like Harry we've got a new job for you today I was like really they were like you're denim specialist and I was like that's not even a job you're just <laughs> making up these jobs to try and <laughs> try and to connive me into thinking I'm being creative. <laughs> That is that is lovely, I suppose, in a kind of way. That, that, do I do I interpret from that story that they were being nice by doing that? That they yeah, were trying to sort so. of yeah, they were sort of cherishing your uniqueness <laughs> and going, let's make you denim specialist, and then like, great, Harriet, love that. That's quite good management yeah. of you, I think. <laughs> yeah, and it was well, it was nothing different. I just loitered by the jeans, I guess. Um, but but yeah, so I'm so grateful for comedy, and and because I never, because a lot of comedians they they watched it as children and they had their heroes and all of that. Whereas I never really, like I watched a few bits and bobs on telly that my parents sort of were watching. But and yeah, I never I never ever thought of comedy as an option uh, an option growing up. Definitely not. Yeah, I just sort of just fell into it, I guess. Can you can you tell us how you fell into it? 
Uh, well, so I wanted to be an actor, and I was really lucky that my my parents always knew that I would because you in it you get a lot of people's parents that want them to get like a proper job and that. And my I was so lucky that my parents just always knew that I would do something strange, and uh, uh, and and like out of a film or something. We went to watch. Uh, we'd go on holiday in, to Plymouth <laughs> as a family, and then we were, we were watching a pantomime, and then I they wanted volunteers in the pantomime, and I and they didn't pick me but i ran on stage and then uh and uh and was chatting and uh and then uh was just, i had this sylvanian family um like weasel or something and i was telling everyone that <laughs> that uh, about it and then i was like oh i'm gonna name it uh joseph because my mom's having a baby that she's gonna call joseph and i wanted to call it heady in case it didn't have a head but mom said we couldn't do that i just waffling on and on and on and then uh and then after like out of a film this guy as i'm on the way back goes to my mom she's got real stage presence like uh, and, and i was like only about five or something so that was that was lovely um i can't remember what the question what what was oh was yeah how you how you discovered or how you brought yourself to comedy yeah, yeah so then so always wanted to do acting and then just had well quite a traumatic childhood really and then but didn't have um uh, I think people not for money you, the only way to leave where you're from is to go to uni but I didn't even want to go to uni but it was just the only way because you get the money to go so I and then I had this lovely friend called Batty she was going to uh, Wolverhampton Uni and I was like well I shall be going with you and then it turned out to be the only uni in the country at the time that had a stand-up comedy module uh, and then so no one would work with me because I was I would go to lessons with um, gin and an Evian bottle and then uh, and then one day I've turned up and everyone's like oh are you ready for the stand-up comedy assessment and I was like the what and then someone goes oh tell the story you told in the pub the other day about how you died twice which is funnier than it sounds so then I did that and then again like out of a film the head of drama was like you're an absolute disaster but you're really good at that so I think we should help you and then uh, if it wasn't for her I wouldn't because she took she physically took me to the doctors to get extenuated circumstances because i was an alcoholic and then if it wasn't and if it wasn't for her it would have just been like a, a, a waster that that just dropped out of uni and that so she and it wasn't like oh and then i did comedy it was still the absolute shit show but then after that i i knew that that that's what i wanted to do and i was like and you can like because it was such a good feeling that i went on told everyone this story everyone was completely indifferent to me when i went on stage because they just thought i was this annoying person and then i went on was completely honest about my life and then at the end of it everyone's cheering and liking me and coming up to me and patting my back and that and i was like this is amazing so that's what I that's then I had the in my stomach like I knew that's what I wanted to do then that's wonderful <laughs> not, not only is that a sort of brilliant and unique thing what I love about that is is to hear that given the content of trigger warning which is in in part in part at least is about how you were routinely let down by everyone by the system by the police by just people around you, sort of exploited by terrible people around you and let down by systems which should have been there to protect you. And it's so wonderful to hear that, oh, some people were helping. <laughs> some yeah. people were making you denim specialist and going, you're a comedian, <laughs> you've got stage presence, that there were some sort of positive forces giving you some options which otherwise you might not have been aware of. 
yeah, I never thought of it like that. Yeah, because if it was yeah, so I because I sort of say the other extreme a lot, but but yeah, I'm actually very lucky because because maybe other people have been through that where they where they've just had the badness, but I have been I have been lucky. I was, you know, thank goodness that even though my my home life was difficult it was outside of the home do you know what i mean so like my parents were always lovely and supportive and um uh and and yeah it's just people must have seen something uh, which is yeah and that that poor drama lecturer uh she was a doctor in in stones and so i don't, I don't even know why she was she was <laughs> yeah she was what, what, her specialist a was, in was rocks and stuff i'm sure oh, it okay. was yeah and she um oh she was fantastic and um she but it got to the point she she went absolutely above and beyond because it got to the point where i was because i was drunk all the time i was emailing her at like four in the morning because i'd just been out and i think when you've been through abuse and stuff you 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 know if you you sleep around because it hurts and then when you do sleep around that hurts even more because you're all triggered and that so then i was i would debrief email her after stuff like that at four in the morning so she she and the fact that she's still you know stuck with me and she must have thought fucking hell what am i bloody bitten off here but but yeah i just yeah, if it wasn't for her, just to think what would have happened. Very, very lucky. Yeah, very lucky. People like that. And and your, do you feel like your, the connection you have with audiences and the opportunity that you have to, like you said, in that very first kind of gig environment, is just just literally tell them a thing that happened to you. Do you like what's your, What's your sense of what it is that works so well when you get up on stage and, and just tell us the truth? Well, because I do think... You th why do you think we laugh so much? Why do you think we love you so much? What's, what, what is that connection? What does it mean to you? Well, because well, someone, I didn't know, but someone, someone said, well, a few people have said that they like I bring people into my world. So I, I think that's, well, hopefully not the horrible stuff, but I think um because i've had it from both sides so when i did that first thing that was like a sort of presentation at uni um that that was great but then when i started uh call uh comedy properly and did you know circuit gigs and that i had uh just people like i guess i'm quite um if gullible is the right word but quite trusting maybe and and after gigs people would come up to me always men and they would tell me right well you speak too cornish on stage so you need to be less cornish then you need to do this then you need to do that and then so when i started on the circuit i was changing every every single fucking gig because someone would tell me what i needed to do and it was always people that were further along in their career so i thought well, they know what they're on about. So then every gig, I was a completely different person. And then it was only then when I did, um, I did a gig, uh, the, uh, the, oh, well, love. So I was always doing the, the King Gongs and then Alex Boardman was like, you need to stop doing these bloody King Gongs. I didn't know what I was where Because you don't know until you King, know. King Gongs, you, for people that don't know, oh. it's sort of it's a, a gong show environment where comedians are pitted against each other oh, with a, deliberate, a deliberately hostile audience in an yeah. awful competitive facsimile of stand-up comedy. Yeah, oh, it's awful. It's all one where someone was literally a lady with the... Um, a ferret puppet was was it was terrible but when she came on stage someone punched her because they were so angry about it like it was yeah it was a it was a really and just the environment when you'd go in there it was it wasn't like a normal if you go to a normal comedy night it is just such a hostile 
was a sport, isn't it? It's not comedy anymore. It's a yeah, it's gladiatorial, it's, isn't yeah. it? And the, the yeah. crowd are baying for blood in a yeah. way that doesn't at all represent what comedy can and no. probably should be. And it's all I, for me. It's like the it, it's I've never done one. I've never participated in one. I think I've only ever seen one. But the yeah. whole idea, the stories I hear about them, it just makes me think it's almost like the, the, the prefect system in a, in a boarding yeah. school whereby the people who were abused, once they survive it, they abuse the new people coming yeah. up because, because now they're allowed. It, like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's yeah. deeply upsetting to me. But yes, yeah, no, it is no, deeply it. upsetting. And then so Alex Baldwin was comparing it a few times when I'd done it. And then afterwards he was like, you, can you be, message me? Because please don't do this anymore. And I was like, Okay. And then he was so lovely, and he sent a like a blanket email to all of his contacts saying, "Oh, there's this girl. She's really good. So will you give her a, like a spot on a normal kick, please?" So then I got like my first like proper spot was at, at the bloody uh, at the comedy store, the late the late show, doing a ten spot when I had a which is also quite stressful actually. So <laughs> but then it was there. So uh, what an opportunity. So Ke- Kevin Bridges was on and then I went on stage did terrible and then he was like why are you when you're off stage you're really funny but then you're completely different on stage and then I realized because I've been doing what everyone bloody told me to do and I need to just do what I started and why I wanted to do it in the first place and just talk about like my life like because I've because I've all my life I've had this terrible life where, where this is the first thing where I feel lucky to have lived a life um so then it so it was then where I was like well now I will just talk about what happens and then I just think well what's what happens and then I just changed bits to make it funnier and then that's how that's what what I do now I guess I'm so glad for you (laughs) I'm so glad for you like not only because I love your stuff and like having seen some of your stuff now you're one of those people I'm like oh lifelong fan I'll go and watch Harriet do literally anything and and, and I think and I think you you sort of generate you generate that that response in people I think you only have to look I've got some audience questions for you we can get to later on but a lot of it is just like isn't she brilliant you know (laughs) but there, there are questions among it um so to talk a little bit about trigger warning, which I'm very conscious of wanting to protect you and not take it anywhere you don't want it to go. And oh, also the show mind. is out there and it and yeah. exists and I want people to sort of see it and discover it. The The things that struck me about that show, which I've only seen, I never well, wasn't lucky enough to see it in the room. I saw it and I think the, the video that's on YouTube is, is at a particular event for survivors is abuse. Yeah. I'm not sure what the what the context was exactly. Yeah, it's a, the Viv Gordon company, which do... So they, they came to see my show in Edinburgh and then we've sort of become really close and it was, yeah, doing it to all to do that show in front of all survivors and that. It was in Bristol yeah. as well, which is... So it was just lovely. Yeah, really, really nice. And, and when do you ever get to do that? Where everyone... Because a lot of the time, especially in Edinburgh and that, there was just people that haven't because even though the show was called trigger warning you still always get people deeply upset and it was always the same sort of people that probably haven't had you know i can't say for sure but you know probably haven't had these experiences like to get upset on behalf of well i don't know who the fuck um so it was lovely to do it just with people that get it really and then yeah so i'm really happy that that one got filmed can you just so we're not sort of I feel like for the listener, we need to kind of sketch out the content, but only to the extent that you're happy. So what's what's your kind of... 
description of the show in such a way that we know what we're talking about and it's your words and not mine? Uh, so the show was... Um, well, I never thought I'd talk about it. So it's a, it's a show about how doing a paper round led to a lifetime of rape. <laughs> is, that, is that what it is? <laughs> and then and then and that all really helped and then when and then it and then when i left Cornwall, then um then things got better and then it happened again and then it was terrible but now it's fine is that fair yes that i mean <laughs> it, it, of course don't ask me if that's fine i just want you know what i mean like i i'm just aware that there is you know, and I've sort of said this comes up on this sort of show from time to time because I'm interested in psychology and coping with things. Whenever we talk, whenever I talk to someone who has really been through some of the horrific experiences that you have, I'm just very mindful that like that you have you have a sort of abandoned subject button whenever you whenever you <laughs> Hello, want. One, you know right. I mean? And I don't want to because I've done a, a like podcast before where there's where they have to do do you have to do a, a list of trigger warnings be- before that then after I've spoken the the list of trigger warnings is longer than the fucking <laughs> well this that has come up on one or two episodes before whereby you do like I mean one of the questions I, I, as you'll know Johnny Pelham um, yeah, is the yeah. sort of survivor of child sexual abuse and I was asking him about how it feels to know that whenever he talks about that he always comes with it's like a comma after his name do you know what yeah, I mean and, yeah. and, and, and obviously as comics we are wrapped up in our identity is to do with our output and you know you it becomes a sort of part of a thing around you that I, I suppose from the outside I want to make sure it's a thing that you're owning rather than even the even the acknowledgement even the warning about it isn't a thing that then becomes out of your hands yeah do you know what I mean so I mean and as you talk in the show the decision to call it trigger warning was to sort of cover yourself in an extent <laughs> yeah. so that you could go, look, I didn't, I did tell you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so one of the, I, I, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the journey of developing that show, because one of the things, and obviously I, the only version of it I've seen is that one in front of an audience of survivors. Yeah. Um, the frankness with which you talk about some of the horrendous things you experienced is and and because of your natural style as a comic you'll sort of say something very bleak and unpleasant that happened to you and and literally half a breath later you'll get distracted by a tangent about squirrels that's very funny <laughs> do you know what I mean like it's <laughs> it's a real barrage of stuff it speaks beautifully to to you and who you are and like I said that thing about how present you are we feel like this is Harriet's turn to speak and she can say it however the fuck she wants um I wondered if you could just talk to me a bit about the journey of putting that show together and and were there times when it was hard to change gear or were there times when you would perform it to audiences that didn't take it in the way you wanted them to and and the difficulties associated in that, how you overcame those kind of things? Uh, well, so I never, like I said, I never thought about talking about it really. And then, uh, and then during lockdown, I was one of these millions of people that decided I thought I'd write a book, but just to get all my, uh, because I've always, I love reading about people's uh, processes and how they've overcome stuff. So I read a lot of autobiographies and stuff. And then I, uh, because I read so many of them, and I was like, oh, I think mine would probably be as good. So then I just wrote a book during lockdown and then uh but then in having done that 
I already, and doing comedy, as I was writing it, I had already put in funny bits around those bits. So then, so then I decided to, I think it was like a 2000 and, oh no, I feel like, oh no. So then after that, I just, I thought, oh well, well I'll see if there's, because I don't know if I felt, um, I don't know, like comically, if I, if I felt that I'd feel like that like like it was all very well and good doing all this material but there's always this big thing that I've never really spoken about and do you know what I mean so I thought well I'll I'll give it a go and then I um so then I like a work in progress I just thought uh well okay oh yes so then I did it and uh at that gig so I knew this woman I'd been doing previews at this venue for years and years and I always thought we got on well and then and then did this show about about the trauma uh, that I've been through in the paper round and stuff. And then afterwards, she was just completely different with me. And then I thought I was being paranoid, but uh, but then I knew people that had come to the show and um, uh, and they they told me that they got home that night to an email from her apologising on on my behalf. And then the next day, she was just emailing me, going on about trigger warnings and all of that. And then she said that I need to check because I've got this bit about um, um, about stabbing the abuser. And then she's like, you need to make it really clear to the audience what bits you've made up like that bit. And I was just so outraged because I've just had a lifetime of people not believing me. And, and then I haven't spoken mm. about this like, like ever. And then I have. And it's the same fucking shit after all these years so I was just so angry uh, with her. Because uh, um, what else was she saying as well? Just, just, and again, because I even said to her, sorry, who, who are you, uh, who are you upset? Because she was also like, oh, I think people are going to need a while to get over what you told them. And I was like, who are you doing this on behalf of? Have, has someone said something? And no one had said anything. So she was just upset on. Oh, I don't know what she was doing, and I don't. Well, you know, I'll never know fully what she has been through, or if she knew anyone that had been mm-hmm. through stuff, or whether it triggered something for her. But it really did trigger something for me. So, so then that's why. That's so then I yeah so then I was just really angry that that that's still happening, and people that have been through stuff are still you know being shamed essentially for it. So, so that's why I did it, and then I just wanted to make it. Uh, to yeah, I wanted to make sure that even though it was terrible stuff, if I I could still make it funny, um, but yeah, it was it was true. Like I don't uh, every so often now I get asked to do it at stuff and I won't do it anymore because I think because I obviously did it every day in Edinburgh and oh, yeah, 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 it was just it was to yeah it it was a lot to do every day for a month and I'm like really proud that I did it and that I made that funny and that but. I never want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and, did, and does that mean the book is done, or like, does it mean in the sense of you've you've finished, you've concluded working on the book, and you feel like the work is done, so you don't need the book, or is the book still a thing? Oh, the books, the, the book I self, like I put it out there on Amazon during, during lockdown. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this so is a big gap in my research. Many. No, apologies. no, no. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's out there, and um, and then this is out there. But now, but then I feel like I've unleashed a beast because now every single thing that I write is always a bit depressing now. So I don't. So I don't because I, I it never really was before. But I guess just life is. 
you know, life is, I guess, a bit. So when when you say you've unleashed a beast, do you mean in terms of your freedom to talk about how you really feel like yes. that isn't i don't know if that is unleashing a beast i think you deserve the permission to talk about how you really fucking feel well yeah but i do yeah i just don't want to be known as one of the i just don't want people to think oh god i'm not gonna go see harriet anymore because it's just very depressing because then the, then there's a show about me bloody dead mother and now i've got a show about bloody everyone killing themselves and but it's just stuff that happens I think and and I find it really difficult to write about stuff that I don't care about and that I don't feel I find it really hard like if I ever try have tried to do like observational stuff or I just thought yeah I just don't well I don't care I feel like I really need to care to be able to commit to a show that I'm gonna do work it's gonna be you know like an hour long and I'm gonna do it at lots of places I I, I, and I feel like I need to care about it do you think that the... Was there anything in the reaction to Trigger Warning at Edinburgh, like the reaction from the audience, which made you think it was depressing? Because to me, that is the last word I would use to describe that show. Parts of it are harrowing because they're awful things to have happened to someone and we care about you deeply. But no, I wasn't... I, I, was, I was emotionally very engaged. I wasn't depressed... Oh. Because because it was it was uplifting. Jesus, the last line of that show, just before, and I don't want to spoil it for people watching it, <laughs> it's not even really a punchline. It is a detail of um, what the what your partner says to you when you tell them when you tell him you've got a problem. And you said that, and then there's another line, and then you go, and that's the show. And I literally, if I say it out loud now, I'll burst into tears. But they were, <laughs> I mean, it, it hit me so hard. And it's not depressing, it's joyful and uplifting. And oh. it's fucking brilliant, mate. It's brilliant. Oh. That, that show and where that show goes, and I, I completely understand you may never want to do it again, but I, <laughs> I also, I feel like I have a responsibility as, a, as a, the part of me which is a comedy fan, let alone a fellow comedian, to, to say, don't worry, this isn't depressing. Don't have oh. that in your head. You're not depressing. And what we're getting is you being you and you're joyful and uplifting no matter what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Well, well that's lovely. I feel like I don't think I was fishing there because that was just... <laughs> I, had, I know I had, oh. I had no idea. Yeah, I think because... Well, also, I, I certainly don't want to be the long, the latest in a long line of men telling you what you should or shouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, that's lovely because I think I, yeah, I did think it was quite depressing just because of, and, and do you know what as well? Because I think when I did it in Edinburgh, there was the, it was the, it, the well, as is often the way, it, because it's obviously in the summer and I was in a, a room where <laughs> the air con was, there was something wrong with the air con and it was pumping spores because it was moldy inside. So it was like this, yeah, I was awful and so so the room was so hot that people were having to leave because they were passing out and stuff so oh then i think i took that on do you know what i mean so then oh. even when people were like no it's not the heat i think i took like you know people had to leave where and i never truly know if they were leaving because they were sure. <laughs> filled with spores or, or you know or so i think maybe i took and we all do it, don't we? We focus on... And, and I think as well, because when you've just lived something, like, it's not really shocking for me because I was bloody there. So when... So just to, maybe I, I I took people's shock and 
maybe just being in the moment and processing and stuff, I think sometimes I I sort of maybe took that on as that it was a bit depressing. But people are just mm. yeah, because it's hard to know when you just when you know it, you know, you know. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> I, no, I completely understand. Um, <laughs> one of the things let's let's come away from that subject and talk more about the kind of your your wider relationship to your audience who you are to them who who do you in your mind who are you to your audience oh um who am i to my audience uh well i have i don't know if i've really yeah i haven't really thought about it before but the people often say to me if they've like watched shows or see me online and stuff they go Oh, you are like what the inside of my head, like the stream of consciousness that I just never say out loud. So I think I'm high on stage uh, and people's mania (laughs) (laughs) coming coming to life in front of them before their very eyes. (laughs) But I just, I guess because I'm very, I guess I'm very comfortable in in who i am and but then i have you know people sometimes i guess some people would say i'm I'm a real oversharer and stuff but um i i guess i just feel comfortable with who i am and if i and there's there is uh there's there's rarely like i'm rarely thinking anything that i'm not saying out loud which i guess is is a gift or or a curse because sometimes i will be like, oh, I'm quite itchy, <laughs> you know. People are like, what? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that is, that, I mean, I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. I'm rarely thinking anything that I'm not saying out loud. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful sentence. I'm, I'm really <laughs> interested in that because, like, oh, we see those things, you know, that you might think, oh, I'm itchy, or what? Well, there's a moment in in one of your shows where you you said, I think it was in the, the video I saw, Trigger Warning, where, like, halfway through, there's just this little moment where you sort of go, you're describing a door. And you sort of go, because it's a, it's a door. Yeah, it's a door. <laughs> it's so funny because we're seeing you live in real time. Um, remember what a door is called or sort of discover that there's nothing more to be said about the yeah. door. It, and, and what I'm interested in is how many of those moments which become, because you're so sort of loose and, and present and silly on stage, we laugh at all those moments do you ever repeat those moments because you've discovered that they're funny and you've found a funny way to describe a door? Like there is presumably a sort of a, a whole spectrum of things which you're genuinely saying because your arm's itchy or you've got pen on your leg or whatever and yeah, you point yeah. it out and, and see if it... And presumably when you point it out, you are aware that you have the option to pursue it and see if it goes anywhere. Yeah. And then right on the other end, there's script, which you say every time. So what's the kind of interplay between those things? Yeah, well, you can't, isn't it? I always used to try and reenact stuff, and if I've got stuff wrong, but uh, then do it. But I think audiences can smell it when they. I, I and then I think, and then I think I'm just a bit like I feel dirty for for trying to trick them, you know. Um, so on the so I might say, oh well, the, the, uh, the other day when I did this bit, and then this. So I might say that something's happened, but I but I try not to. Tri- like, like, although, although sometimes, like for instance, sometimes if I'm like if I'm a bit nervous and then I'm on stage and I'll just like touch myself, then I'm like bloody hell, Larry, don't touch yourself. And I say that a lot, but that's just because like I do it out of nervousness, I think. So 
but then I don't so, know. So I'm... you never, so you never kind of plan to say yeah. that so much as you notice yourself touching yourself out of nervousness. Yeah. But you know you can, you know that to remark on it will be funny. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay. But uh, but but I find it different. Like I've often um, in like feedback and reviews and stuff, like with various things, people have said, oh, her her tangents and stuff are often funnier than her material but then but so she should focus on them but how can you focus on the tangents and how the, do you know what i mean so I've, so it sometimes i find it difficult to because I, because i can't just assume that something funny will come you can't live your life like that so then i do have where often i'm always funniest like off the cuff rather than the things that I spend hours <laughs> and years working on. But I think that's the same for a lot of people, maybe, but that's sometimes yeah. a bit disheartening. But then that's the good thing, even though it's a good and a bad thing, everyone films everything these days. That's a good thing, I guess, to watch back and have, you know, have no idea that I've said something funny and then go, oh, well, there could be a bit in that or whatever, but not to pretend like it's new. Sure. Yes. And is and what does what's the beginning of the writing process look like? You're in the you're writing mother at the moment. Is that right? It was work in progress. Well, and... no. Well, that was another thing. Because it was I was gonna do work in progress. I just get so bored of doing the same thing. So in the end, I just did it for a week, and then I probably won't do it. And then I'll probably get it recorded, whack it on YouTube, and then and then I'm just bored of it really now. So now I've got another one called Skin that I'm doing this year. But I need to. But how do people? Because you've got. ADHD, how do you, and I haven't been diagnosed with it, but I find it very difficult to, how do you keep the love when when you're doing, having to do days and days and months of the same thing? I I really struggle with that. And I think um, in the, when I got my ADHD diagnosis, one of the, you know, you have a lovely, I had a lovely month afterwards uh, of kind of reflecting on all of my past behaviours and what have you. Suddenly all of the relentless self-analysis and self-reflection <laughs> had a thing to kind of accrete around. And, um, and one of the things was recognising how much happier I am when I'm being off the cuff. And mm. like, and I love doing work in progress. I love yeah, doing work in progress. I do. I en- I enjoy doing finished shows, but I and I and I cling to it. I'm scared. I want to I want to do finished stuff that will work, but it's the bet. You know, when I when I do when I tour, I do the hour show. That's the finished show. Then a break and then new material off notes. And the second half is always better because I'm more present and I'm in the moment. And I'm and I think what I put it down to now post diagnosis is. To some extent, it's not that I'm bored doing the show. I'm just really excited in the novelty of doing the new stuff. So I I think that one of my one of the things that maybe has held me back in the past as a circuit comic is my sort of need to wedge in new stuff, to wedge in new stuff between two good bits that isn't necessarily ready rather than focus on I'm the headliner. It's half an hour every word I say is going to be honed and I'm going to keep honing it. Like, so that you see people, I remember, like, early Rod Gilbert when he was doing his five and then very slowly chunking on another perfect two and then Uh chunking on another perfect three and now it's a perfect ten-minute set. I'm in awe of that. I love it. I see the benefits. I know that I would get bored doing that. Were I even... I was like, well, I'm too bored to make a perfect ten. Do you know what I mean? But, <laughs> my, my point is that's, that is one of the things I would struggle with were I yeah. to attempt that. And and it's also why I don't attempt that. You know, I love... 
I get all het up doing a per like this is my best shot for a telly spot. I get super nervous about it because that's it. Because as soon as it's there, I'm like, great, I never have to do it again. Yeah. So yeah, I, the the short answer is I I really struggle and I I. I there are, I think my, as far as, you know, this podcast is about you, but you <laughs> asked the question. So yeah. my internal narrative on it has been that in the beginning, I think I was struggling to be a perfectly written type comic. But really deep down, I was sort of more excited about being a Ross Noble, Phil K type comic where you yeah. just leap from place to place. But then that would be, that would kind of... Um, come up against my desire to be trusted and to make money. Do you know what I mean? And to like be reliable. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So this is Harriet. It's a, it's a ride, this episode, I know. Um, and uh, if you've made it this far, thank you so much for sticking with it. Uh, I am just in awe of Harriet. I'm in awe of her, the kind of, the core, I, I say robust all the time, but the, the kind of the robust core of what she gives to the world, despite how ghastly the world has been to her. And um, you must see this show. You must see Trigger Warning. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, it is an incredible piece of work. And it is also, it, it's like there's some darkness in there, of course, but the lightness with which she manages to talk about it and it is so daffy and silly and funny and then wallop it, I mean it is it's brilliant if you see one show this year make it this one so uh, more from Harriet in a second there's no insiders content on this one as I mentioned but you can of course go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders if you're thinking this Christmas time golly it's about time I signed up to give something back to the podcast then please do that you get extra content from every show that has it uh, and much more including a special video version of this episode but I don't know why I'm telling you that now because you would need to be in the insiders to get it uh, we are converting the insiders club and there's going to be more and more video content of episodes there um, but we will be it's zoom video some of it's uh, in person video the stuff that's coming up we've got episodes oh my god we've got episodes coming up with Josh Pugh with uh, James Acaster re 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 returning uh, we have um, who else have we got Leo Reich absolutely brilliant um, and who else someone else magnificent as well Moan Rizwan is coming on too um, so I've got all of these incredible episodes burning a hole in my hard drive and uh, they have full or partial video which you can access 
via the Insiders Club. So uh, feel free to do that for all the Insider Q&As and uh, the Self-Help for Comedians special with Amanda Connell. So uh, all of that is all good. You can go to harrietdyer.com or follow Harriet on Instagram at harrietdyercomedy. And um, uh, let's get back to this interview. One of the thoughts I had in 2019 after I did a work in progress all month, and it was the, my favourite Edinburgh at the time. It was, I just loved it. I thought, what does finished mean? The, the yeah. one of the wonderful things about this fucking job is that you can do precisely what you want. So why do we all take what we want to do and submerge it between beneath this idea of, oh, no, but I have to do this? No, you don't. What you have to do is yeah. precisely what the fuck you want. So maybe we should do an ADHD festival, <laughs> which is... Yeah, which when is, nothing's or, or, finished, ever. Just the unfinished, <laughs> the unfinished festival. I'm going to get that dot com right now. Because I would much rather, I would much rather see that. You know, finished yeah. stuff, watching people's finished stuff, I find less interesting than watching them grapple yeah. with a thing in real time. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a, um, uh, I was chatting to a friend about this recently that I need to not do, but it's very tempting. Like if you do a, a show and it's, you know, about this and that, and then it's at the end. And it, it was then I realised that, like, I don't want to do any of that. And I think I... I think I kind of did it with, with a, with the last show, and then I and then I'm like, oh, I don't want to do. That. I just want people to you can just people could just fucking decide what it was about, not yes. not yes, you I, know, to I, neat it up at the end. Totally, I think, um, and th- and that's when I realised for me the yeah. other one, the other version of that is, and in that moment, yeah, <laughs> like, to me, <laughs> to me, like I feel like I'm I might mean that, but I'll catch myself saying it, and I'll go, what what am I doing here? I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to. I'm trying to tie things together in a way that maybe they don't, or you know what I mean? Like to, yeah. to sort of artificially, I mean, the other example from years ago when I started in comedy, everyone was going, and then that guy said the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and then you deliver some lukewarm thing a person said. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's those, those kind of tricks, those traps. Yeah. Are there, on that subject, are there particular habits or holes that you routinely fall into are there things that you spot both positive and negative are there things where you're like well when we when i get to that shape of a thing i'm sure something will come and are there bits where you're like oh god i'm doing that again (laughs) Uh, when i watch stuff back i think so many comics do it and i'm guilty of it i when you deliver a punchline and then there's that moment where you're waiting for laughter so then you go uh and then you start and then you start the next thing, but you know, but you know a laugh should go there, and no one really knows what to do. So you make a noise that's really cringy that that everybody does. What what's your noise? It's, it's just it is just uh, and then uh, <laughs> like a uh. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and yeah, and it's yeah, it's like punctuation, isn't it? And so many people do it, and I don't know what the answer is because I think. I don't know. I'm a lot less scared of silence than I than I used to be, but I think that there is a need, isn't there, to always be right. What's next? And whereas yes. I think to just be able to pause and let people laugh and then totally, but, you're conducting a band, and if yeah. you go and now laugh and they don't, you're like, well, what the fuck happens now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Are there are there kind of creative ones or like writing ones? Do you find yourself like that kind of in that moment, do you have things where you spot yourself 
Oh, like, yeah. Oh, this, is, this joke is sort of a version of that joke. Does that ever yeah, come Yeah, yeah. I'm really bad for regurgitating stuff. It's good if it's like an idea that I once had that never went anywhere. Then it's like, oh, if I then can get that to work, it's like really good. But then I sometimes I'm like, Harriet, that's a bit that you were schlepping out that you're trying to bloody rejig. Um, and then also, every, like for some reason, my natural, if I'm not, if if I'm trying to write sort of circuit stuff and and stuff that's less delving into life things, it, for some reason every single punchline, I do, my brain goes, "What about a little whimsy animal bit?" And I'm like, "Harriet, <laughs> no more whimsy animal bits. We get the picture." <laughs> <laughs> yes, I wonder how you um, I wonder how you deepen or enrich the instinct to put a whimsy animal bit yeah. in it, but like. What kind of could it be a supernatural creature or a deep sea <laughs> yeah. creature? Could it be like could it go further and deeper? Yeah. Like because the it's instinct is probably absolutely right, but if you're like God, it's another squirrel. <laughs> yeah, think? and then I think because even though it's slightly surreal, I think to get to the stage where because you know often if if say so I don't know like a one liner or something you can see, or with anyone you can see their format and then you you and then often when watching their set or a show you you know what's coming. So I think. I have to be careful that even though it's a surreal thing to have as a punchline, that if even those the audience are predicting, because they're like, yeah, she's getting a squirrel out here, because it's always a bloody squirrel with her. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anyone else that you're a bit like, or are playing the same notes as, that if they're on a bill, you think, oh, this is this might be too much of this flavour? Oh. Um, oh, so do you know what? When because you don't often get Cornish comedians, so it's not that they're. Um, so I've been on a bill with Matt Price before, and oh, yeah. we're in no way similar, even though his dad lives the opposite side of the river to my dad. They're literally, <laughs> yeah. And and he's dad's gay, my dad's gay. Like, it's, yeah, it was really weird that we have, and he used to work at a fish factory, and I remember when I was leaving school, the fish factory was on fire and everything smelled like fish. So a, a lot of our lives are quite similar, uh, things that have happened. But, but so when I've gigged with him, I think the last I gigged with him was in London, and he was comparing. And when I went on stage, everyone was just, like, confused that... that yeah, they. I don't even know what they were confused about, that someone else that was Cornish existed, or or maybe there was just similarities and maybe probably how we spoke, because we really are from, you know, the same area and that, and uh, I don't know, maybe he mentioned his dad and I mentioned, but people just weren't buying it for some reason. Uh, and then recently I did Late and Live and Tamsin Kelly was on before me and, and I thought, oh, is the same thing going to happen here? But that, 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 yeah, there was no... So it was weird that, yeah, with Matt, but not with Tamsin. Um, I wonder, but... might, might it be because you adopt, and I've not seen Matt for ages, a brilliant comic, um, do you adopt a similar sort of position of your Cornishness in opposition to the room that you're currently in? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I genuinely, I still don't know what the answer was, but it was odd. Um, but maybe it was just, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know. But then I have once I got when I was new, I got introduced by the by the compo who promotes that uh, runs the gigs as well, and he said, um, "The ne this next that's going to tell you that she's Cornish, but she's lying to you." 
And then everyone was just like, never on board. Because they were like, well, we, you're telling us who you are, but we know you're lying. And I was like, oh my I am not. God. But then as well, it's not um, like I wasn't, I hadn't been going long enough to get into it and unpack it and say how ridiculous yeah. it all was. Because I was still, the, this is what I will say. Uh, I, I was just really confused. What things do you roll your eyes at in comedy or think, oh, look, this is getting better, but we need more of this or anything like that? Um, well, I don't know really, because when I, when I first, when I was a lot newer, I remember doing those, like the, the, like the jonglers and the frog and that, I remember being introduced and when the when the audience because obviously i got a, a female name they'd hear that the, a female was coming and the whole what 200 or whatever you'd hear an audible groan and that was just harrowing to go on stage knowing that you're already they just think and then following once at jonglers i was doing like the trial 10 and there'd been a female act before me and then as I got on stage, ah, not another fucking woman. And it's just like, yeah, that was awful. And it's so, it would be, because often you're the token token lady on the bill. So it would be lovely to, because whenever there's a few of us on the bill, it's so exciting and we all get on so well and have such a lovely time. But... Yeah, so I guess there needs to be more. But some people are really, really good for it. And, you know, there's the whole lineup's all female and, and it's never even mentioned. Um, and then some people, it's just very... Uh, yeah, do you know what? That's one thing. The, they have the bill and always, no matter, no matter who it is, the woman will always be put on in the middle. Like, mm-hmm. oh, she needs a little... The audience needs a little break between, mm. between the lady. Best not put her on first. And, and that's... And then you look at you know what the bill is, and it doesn't it doesn't make sense for it to be like that. If it does make sense, then that's fine. But not if it doesn't. Just the lady. Sure. Some people have the lady is always in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about your uh, advocacy for mental health. You're a mental health advocate, according to your website. <laughs> well, I didn't know I was until everyone started telling me I was and introducing me and telling me. So then I was like, well, that sounds good. So that's, <laughs> that's what I am then. But you are because you, you run a... What's the night you run? Or it's oh, like a... Barking Tales. So I went to the... Yeah, so years and years ago when I did my first solo show, I it was about mental health and then uh, and everyone was just like, wow, it's great to talk about it this openly. So then I was like, oh, well, I'll... Oh, you I'll... started it. but i but i I was like um but then afterwards i wasn't ready for the conversation about it because it was because it was just so good everyone coming up to me wanted to talk about it and being so open and honest and people saying oh yeah my sister she's got these problems and then now watching your show it's opened up conversation all that so i was like oh and it, it was at the time i think it was 2014 when it was um uh, in the, in the media, how comedians are all off their tits. It was said, isn't it? They would struggle, uh, struggle a lot. So I thought, oh, well, there will always be people w- willing to do it. So then I just started this little night in Birm- um in Birmingham, in Manchester, and uh, and the interesting thing was that it quickly became. I thought it would be about the comedians talking about mental health stuff uh, that they wouldn't feel safe, like was a safe space in other places. But it ended up being mainly about the audience and it was people that 
you know, wouldn't feel comfortable going to a club night and, you know, people get... Often people have... Um, uh, sensitive to noise I have noise defending headphones and there's you know and then we'll just sit in the audience and um and uh, you know people people that have got ticks and would feel like the comedians are going to pick on them for it and stuff like that so it became like a little community I guess um yeah and then, and then and but then because I'm not very technically minded when I was doing it in these venues the um the bloody the speakers were blowing and everyone was triggered and having a terrible time so yeah it was awful because i was such a calamity <laughs> everyone's like blooming rocking and twitching because of the fucking my the awful awfulness getting all this compobulated so then i got when lockdown um happened because uh, my partner's kids came to live with us in a tiny space so i got an office to go and do work at and and then it was big enough to i was like oh well i'll do it i'll do my barking tails at this at this little space uh and just have it we have like fisher price microphones and no sound <laughs> system and and just do like a spoken word sort of thing really um yeah so so do it there now something i've noticed on stage is if i ever mention having adhd i've got like i used to have a bit about it i've dropped it all because it's so familiar now you're being clubs <laughs> and like everyone's mentioned it but i've got one i've got a little one-liner about it and often if i lose my place because i have a big problem with memory if i lose my place i'll mention adhd i'll do my little one-liner and then as soon as i've mentioned it i behave differently for the rest of the gig i'm more likely to lose my place because on some level i've i don't use this term really but it's almost like if I've stopped masking it, it becomes more pronounced. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah. I've given myself permission. Well, I've said it now. And on some level that I haven't really articulated to myself, I've sort of feel like I'm being a bit all over the place and sort of <laughs> I, I can't help it. Do you with your your you are bipolar? You have bipolar? I don't know the language. Yeah, yeah, but I, th- I don't know, cause, it, cause I don't know if I, cause everyone's like, Harry, you definitely have ADHD, so I don't know whether I, I, I take things and I, cause when I was, um, when I was officially diagnosed with bipolar, and then before that, I was a lot different, and there was a lot of sort of, I was off on um, rampages and stuff, whereas now, um, I do consider myself, but then it might just be because I've, uh. You know, because I'm taking the drugs and that maybe, maybe. So I, I, I don't know, but I, but I don't fit. Yeah, I don't feel. And then when I, you know, see other people that are now like a friend recently has been diagnosed with it, and I think, oh, maybe I don't know if I do have it anymore, but probably. But then I need to watch out for this because this is what happens every so often. I'll think, well, I don't need to take this medication anymore. And then I just stop it. And then I, and then I, well, I, this happened once years ago, and I tried, tried to throw myself out of a moving vehicle with my partner, and he was like grabbing hold of me when we were on the M67. So I need to just get over myself and just keep taking the drugs. <laughs> do you, do you, <laughs> do you, do you feel like? One of the one of the questions my prescriber asked me when I was sort of saying, oh, I'm going to go on this. And she knew what I did for a living. And she said, are you concerned about the effect on your creativity? And at the time I was like, no. <laughs> do you mean I'm like, give me the stuff. I'll see if it doesn't work. I'll stop taking it. Yeah. Do you do you find that your medication has had it has had an effect on your creativity? Because I know that's something that people are concerned about. I know we're talking about very different types of medication. Yeah. But. In terms of we we started before we hit record, we were sort of beginning to have a conversation about um, 
like your reaction to meds and how they interact with your stage time, how they interact with your creativity off stage, maybe writing and what have you. What's your experience of that? Uh, yeah, well, well same wasn't I that at first, I just, when I first started taking it, I felt really stoned and then, but I just stuck with it and then I, and then I felt fine. And then when I upped the dose, up the dosage, I felt again, a bit stoned again, but now, um, yeah, but I don't think it affects anything. And then when I first started taking it, people were like, oh, have you, you seem a bit more relaxed on stage. So I was like, oh, maybe that's because of, because of the drugs. Um, <laughs> But then I would, but then back in the day, I would also, I'd be on them and then I'd sometimes be drinking as well. And then that okay. just got into a, you know, a bad habit of doing. Um, but now, yeah, I think because it's been so long now, I, I don't know. And it all seems to be fine. So I assume it's fine. <laughs> are you, are you in a, am I right to assume that in a place, you're in a place now where you're on an even keel? Yeah. You're not addicted yeah, this to anything. Is, this You're is medicated. as even as I'll, yeah. as I'll get. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and how does that does that feel like you can go on forever like this? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Brilliant. I think I yeah, yeah, because when I have tried to come off it, I've just done it stupidly and then even because uh when was it maybe a year or so ago no, a couple of years, I don't know, one partner was like, "Can you please go back on your medication because you are just very terrible. I said, okay. Uh, and then, you know, now, I, you know, I live in the countryside and I'm very medicated and I'm very zen and um, and happy and, uh, and and yeah, doing what I love. So, so I, I find all that helps as well, doesn't it? Because I could be very medicated and very sad. Yeah, yeah. How do you, how do you cope with tough gigs when things go wrong? How do you cope? What's your what's your kind of thought process? What are the things you say to yourself? Uh, well, now I I think isn't it when you've been doing it a while, you know that it's an anomaly. Whereas, but in back in the day, it used to be oh god, what am I doing? But now I know that it's it's more likely like either I'm off or they're off or it's it's probably it might not be down to me. Where I used to always put it on me and what I was doing, and I and I think. Uh, I think, oh well, maybe that bit's not working, and so I need to, uh, I need to work on different bit. I find it quite in the, it, like inspiring because I always want to keep writing and keep. I want to get into the habit where I'm just one of these people that slogs the same set out for twenty years and nothing's changed, and there's references to Jamster and you know. So I, <laughs> so I, so I, I just think, oh, well, maybe that bit isn't working, and yeah. So I look. I think I, on the whole, I think I think we're all a bit guilty sometimes of going, oh, it's because, oh, it because it cringes me out when people go, they blame everyone other than themselves, and they say it's the audience, but everyone else has had a good gig, so it's like, well, maybe you're not doing something quite right. So the, so I, I think you know, I want to be the best I can. So if it is difficult. I, w- I want to, unless it's I don't know like you know people are doing coke off each other's heads and stuff and then I know that that is the issue <laughs> and <laughs> there's nothing I could have done are you kind of building your own crowd are you doing I haven't I must confess I haven't looked at your social media I don't know how active you are on kind of putting stuff out and building an audience yeah. and those things but like what what do you what do you want from comedy what's and do you think in those terms like five year 10 year plan loose assumptions about what to do next 
Yeah, I guess I just keep doing what I've do. I guess I could. Yeah, I don't think I've got the biggest. Definitely not the biggest social media presence, and I find all that very. Um, like I know it needs to be done, but it's all very vacuous and so. Yeah, but so I I guess I try my best, but I don't. Uh, because what? Say if there's what four main platforms to do, and then we do everything every like a different thing for each one every single day. I don't know. I don't know. Well, there's time for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess just build, keep building, and 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 then to eventually be able to just tour. I guess, and because because I I do I don't think I'm ideally the right act for um dr- really drunk people on a saturday night where where i've got to put i've got to somehow relate to them to make them laugh when they're off their tits i don't i haven't been for quite some time so i don't know if i care for them very much so mm. so so yes i'd like to yeah, get to the stage where i you know where i can solely just write stuff create stuff and people come to it and then I don't do. But I guess I'm a bit more, yeah, because because I would do everything, but you know, I I used to do just always gig, and now I guess I'm a bit more selective, um, and that's nice, isn't it? To go, oh, I've got an art centre coming up. How lovely. <laughs> yes, yes, it's um, it, it is weird those things where like you. I feel like you and me both have done the hard yards, thanks. And I don't <laughs> yeah. think I need. I don't think I'm going to be improved anymore by doing horrible, tough rooms that I don't yeah. enjoy, where I try to relate to people I don't relate to. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's definitely not. You know, no, I don't think I'm better than them or anything. But it's just, I, don't, I just, I just, I don't have what they want. <laughs> <laughs> I had some I had some audience questions for you. Did you move from Cornwall to do comedy or was that a separate thing? And now you're, dare I say, a big name on the scene. Does part of you feel like moving back? Oh, uh, no, I left Cornwall for trauma because I, I just needed to get out of Cornwall. Um, so, but yeah, I think it, it's just... It's, you can't really commute anywhere, can you? You'd have to, but, it, but it's so great. There's so many people. In fact, the last saw Kev, no, the time before I saw Kev, at a gig, Tom Rogers, I think he's called, and he's fantastic. And there's so a few people we're now in Cornwall that are putting on fantastic nights. And so there's there's more of a circuit now. Um, yeah, because there used to be Graham and he used to do loads. And now there's, there's yeah, some other people. And so there's a... A little circuit there now which is great um but I st- I, yeah I d- so i don't know because i would be the same if i if i was in my caravan on the beach i, w- I wouldn't want to be going anywhere else so you need to start you need, there needs to be a caravan circuit that's the answer <laughs> <laughs> good it? idea that's a very that's a very good idea um to wrap up thank you so much i've really really enjoyed this it's been lovely talking to you um, I have started asking people, and if this goes nowhere, we'll cut it. But on this podcast many years ago, Sarah Millican shared with us Millican's Law, which was yeah. about a sort of, uh, you know, not not overdoing it past 11 o'clock the next morning, regardless of either way the, the gig had gone. What would be your law if you had a if you had Dyer's Law in comedy? That's a thing you've learned or a technique that you employ that you think everyone would benefit from this. What would be your law? Oh, uh, let me think. 
I guess the I guess lots of people have said this, but I don't don't think about everybody else. Be like, do be yourself, and don't you know if you've liked a comedian because I think every so often you get like where people are just ver- versions of who they've been watching, where where it's a really saturated scene, isn't it? Really, so there's the so I guess be yourself and don't. Be afraid to be yourself. And don't listen to anyone else's shit when they're telling you to be this and be that. Just, just yeah, just stick to what you want to do, I guess. Because the... Well, I don't know whether that went anywhere, but... No, I liked it. It's good. It's, like, it's, very, it's very emblematic of you. I just wonder, are they like... It's, I wonder if it's, it's... It's like it's easy to say, just be yourself. And I'm just interested in, like, how do people... Like, if, if someone's listening to this thinking... That's all very well, Harriet, but how do I be myself? Because I get on stage and I just find myself doing this this version. Yeah, but like, going because it... so many people, when they start, they're like, they'll watch comedy and, and then they'll go, oh, where it go? Uh, so I said, stop shouting at me, mum. You know, and it's always like a... So yeah. don't just go for the the easy stock things that you see everyone else doing because then there's literally a whole lineup of just everyone doing the same variation um last question are you happy oh very happy yes yes thank you <laughs> i'm so pleased i thought i wouldn't have asked if i didn't think you were but i get <laughs> i asked that of lots and lots of people and i was pretty confident of a good answer and yes yes i am thank you is a beautiful place to end it and very very mm-hmm. uh, typical of you and your energy and i'm just in love with your act mate and thank you so much for doing the show Oh, thank you. Thanks ever so much. Do I just go now? (laughs) (laughs) And let's let's cut there. So that was Harriet. Oh, mate. She's so wonderful. (laughs) She's just completely in love with her comedy. I think she's an absolutely wonderful human being. And um, I really am so anxious for you to discover her if you haven't already. Um, and it's it's just such a wonderful, she has such a wonderful style. That's enough gushing from me. Thanks to Harriet for coming on the show. Um, go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to support the show with a regular monthly donation of as much or as little as you like um, and get all the extras, including the video content, uh, the video version of this episode. Um, plus, don't forget to go and watch Trigger Warning right now, this minute right now. Find Harriet at HarrietDyer.com or on Instagram at HarrietDyerComedy. You can find out everything I'm up to at StuartGoldsmith.com or indeed at StuartGoldsmithComedy across most of the platforms. Um, Instagram's the one we're going with. And if you fancy, if you haven't checked out my Instagram, not only can you see my increasingly haphazard attempts to make latte art, Jesus. Um, but also, in a slightly more meaningful way, there is a clip from the Eliza Schlesinger podcast that's gone up there recently. Um, and we're going to start doing that more and more um, with uh, little clips of episodes and clips of people in, in action. Um, so uh, hang on to those things. And, and I also had a lovely trip to the Bristol Waste Recycling Centre where I did a little kind of... A kind of uh, oh, oh it's, I was going to say, it's a bit like a Tom Scott YouTube video. And that is uh, worth mentioning because I recently guested on Tom Scott's brilliant, brilliant uh, online panel show, Lateral. And believe you me, I could guest on that goddamn show every single day of my life. I had an absolute ball of a time. Uh, with uh, um, some other guests who weren't weren't comics, they were sort of a mathematician and a what did she do? She's brilliant. She was a writer, but more specific than that, like a, a historian, I believe. 
and this is embarrassing now if you get to it, and it turns out the people were um, a scuba diver and, think of a job, Stuart, firefighter. <laughs> um, anyway, it was a brilliant, brilliant show, so look out for that. That'll be coming soon. And honestly, all of this stuff, I won't turn this into an official postamble because I'm just, I'm on a roll here, so I'll keep talking. Um, I, uh, I'm so excited. These episodes that we've got, an in-depth discussion with Leo Reich about sincerity online and the impossibility of being sincere you know it's a thing of mine it comes up all the time on the show when I'm discussing uh like how as Helen Barrow said how I am cringe because I'm too old to be insincere online so I say things sincerely and it's the worst thing a person under 30 can imagine and Leo just so you know has released his fucking debut his debut Edinburgh show literally who cares which is a work of staggering quality um, he not only transferred it to Broadway, the scamp, uh, but it's also, it's coming out, I think, on HBO. So have a search for that. I think you get access to HBO if you've got if you've got Sky or Now TV or some sort of an app. Um, but it is, a, oh my God, what a show. What a funny show. Um, and also Josh Pugh. And Josh Pugh came to me fresh from recording um, one of his amazing um, uh, Instagram, you know, little kind of character piece uh, micro sketches, little 60 second long things that he's so wonderful at. And I tell you what's great is I keep mentioning Josh Pugh to friends who aren't in comedy to know, to find out that they know exactly who he is and they're all over it. So that's very exciting as well. And the Mawan one is just a dream from start to finish. So lots of stuff are coming up soon. Lots of exciting bookings as well. I'm on my way to record with someone very exciting today. And someone absolutely massive uh, in comedy is returning to the pod in January. So there's plenty to look forward to. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. I hope you have a sustainable new year. And uh, on that subject, of course, if you... And I, I'll just mention this briefly once or twice uh, per few shows um, because it does seem to work. If you work in sustainability or the corporate world, I've got so many things to talk to you about and so many mad plans I've been hatching that have all um, that are all coming to fruition in, in a way which probably necessitates a special episode at some point in the future, so I don't keep wanging on about it now. Have a wonderful holiday and um, try and maintain over Christmas as a consistent sense of self, if you want, but equally just let your hair down. <laughs> 